This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. During the recent election campaign, you may have noticed there was a lot of talk about power. Actually, it wasn't just during the campaign. There was a lot of talk about it even years before. And I predict, and I think I'm fairly safe in predicting this, there'll be a lot more talk about it in years to come. This type of power. No, back one. That type of power. Often the context has been climate change, uh, talk about coal-fired power, electrical power and the grid, cuts to power supplies, alternative sources of power such as wind power and hydropower, nuclear power and solar power. But there's been talk of other sorts of power as well, um, and you've had a preview of that already. Um, there's been talk about abuse of power, including sexual assault, harassment, domestic and family violence, financial abuse. Sometimes the context has been parliament and political parties, sometimes businesses, sometimes the church, shamefully and sometimes families. Just after the election, there was a lot of talk about the balance of power and who would have it. Well, you know the kind of power we haven't heard much about, though? Despite it being of supreme importance? It's what I want to talk about today, the power of the Holy Spirit. Our overall theme for this term is reconnecting with the Holy Spirit. And for these few weeks, we are preaching on the Spirit's work. We've already looked at who is the Holy Spirit. Now we're looking at the Spirit's work. Uh, last Sunday, Johnny preached on starting a new life. That's part of the Spirit's work. I'm following that up today by looking at what the story of Pentecost tells us about the Holy Spirit's power for living that new life that Pastor Johnny talked about last Sunday. The Pentecost event is recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 2. And I'll be reading bits of that during my sermon. But Luke provides a helpful introduction to it in the previous chapter in Acts chapter 1. And I think that's a good place to start, to try and understand what happens at Pentecost. So Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and 4 to begin with. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. This is Jesus, of course. He appeared to them, his disciples, over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So during the 40-day period after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples, talking to them about the kingdom of God. 
a new kingdom, not like the old nation-state kingdoms of history up to that point, but a spiritual kingdom, one of peace, of justice and of freedom. During this time, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. He was talking there about the Holy Spirit. Note in passing the involvement of the whole Trinity here, Father, Son and Spirit. Then at the end of the 40 days, just before his ascension, Jesus gave this very significant instruction to his disciples, uh, also in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So putting two and two together, the reason for waiting in Jerusalem is to wait for power from the Holy Spirit. Then they can begin their mission, their mission of sharing the gospel, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and throughout the world. Uh, interestingly, this is the, uh, I'm digressing a bit, but, but this is the summary outline of the book of Acts. It's almost a bit like an index because Acts shows the apostles going, as Jesus said, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world, and the kingdom of God, the church, growing as they do so, as they are successful in their ministry through the Holy Spirit's power. Well, let's look now at the beginning of the Pentecost story as we find it in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 5. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. As I mentioned at communion, the Jewish festival of Passover was celebrated 50 days sorry, the, the Jewish festival of Pentecost was celebrated 50 days after Passover. As Johnny mentioned, it was also called the day of the first fruits or the, uh, the feast of harvest because it marked the beginning of the wheat harvest for the year. It was also the day the Jews celebrated the giving of the law at Mount Sinai which according to their calculations was 50 days after the exodus from Egypt. God chose this very day to send his spirit. We have a contrast there between the spirit and the law. And he chose this very day to begin a spiritual harvest. This particular Pentecost, the first after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, was like no other that had ever been before it. 
The apostles had been waiting in Jerusalem for about a week, as Jesus had instructed. But it wasn't just them, it wasn't just uh, the 11 plus the new disciple that they had selected, Matthias. They had been joined by others, 120 altogether, all waiting. Luke doesn't tell us what else they were doing apart from waiting during this time, but I think we can fairly safely assume that it would have included sharing stories about Jesus, it would have included prayer and no doubt worship as well. Then the Holy Spirit came, as Jesus had promised at his ascension. Before that, he had also promised the same thing uh, during his resurrection appearances. Even before that, at the Last Supper, he said to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Note especially what he says there. He lives with you and will be in you. That's what happens at Pentecost in fulfilment of Jesus' promise. But look, even before that, going way back, way back several hundred years before this, God promised through the prophet Joel that this would happen that this was part of God's sovereign plan from eternity. How do I know the prophecy in Joel relates to this event? Well, that's pretty easy because Peter, in his sermon to the crowds on that day, says that what was happening was what Joel had prophesied and he quotes a lengthy prophecy from that prophet. Now, there's a, um, there's a lot in Peter's sermon. Um, and a lot more in the 47 verses of this chapter and chapter 2. I can't read it all now and um, I certainly can't deal comprehensively with everything there. So this morning I'm just focusing on the manifestations of the power of the Spirit. The first thing I want to talk about is the power to witness. Verses 14 to 40, that's basically Peter's sermon. You can see how long it is. It takes well over half of Luke's account of Pentecost. It is a powerful, spirit-filled message. And it's bold. Among other things, he accuses the Jews of rejecting Jesus, the very Son of God, and having him killed. And at the end, he tells them that they must repent. Now, that's boldness, especially before a crowd of many thousands. And note that this is Peter speaking, the one who just 50 days earlier had denied that he even knew Jesus. In fact, three times he had denied that he knew Jesus. To a maid and to a few servants. So what we see here is a dramatic change, isn't it? From a denier to a declarer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through Peter. But it wasn't just Peter. The other apostles were also empowered to witness, as we see later. 
And presumably that was also the case with the rest of the 120 who were also in the room on that occasion before they went out into the streets and they too were filled with the Holy Spirit. But there wasn't only power to witness through the Spirit, there was also power to do extraordinary things. Luke tells us that when the Holy Spirit came upon those gathered in the room, they began speaking in other languages, unknown to them as the Spirit enabled them. Now, this wasn't natural. It was supernatural. Because Pentecost was such an important festival, people of Jewish language, uh, of Jewish heritage, and people who had converted to Judaism had all come from all nations around to Jerusalem to celebrate. The extraordinary thing is that these people, although they were from different language groups, different nations, they heard their own languages being spoken as the prophet spoke. Now, we're not totally clear how the Holy Spirit worked here. Was this the gift of tongues that we read about in Paul's letters and that many exercise today? The person during prayer or worship speaks words that they don't know to God, not an earthly language, but a kind of, of heavenly language. Is that what's happening here? Well, if that was the case, then there was a double miracle not just the speaking in tongues, but also the hearing of known languages. Uh, contrary to this, some say that the gift on this unique occasion was the gift of speaking in intelligible, recognisable languages that they hadn't learned. And there's a case for that too, that this is different from the gift of tongues that we find elsewhere in Scripture and today. Although there's some debate about that, what is clear, this one thing is clear, that the Spirit's power was at work in an extraordinary way, doing a new thing. This is the reversal of the curse of Babel that we read about in Genesis. At Babel, you might remember, human language was confused and the nations were scattered. At Pentecost, though, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome. It was broken down as a sign that people of all nations would now be gathered together in Christ in the new kingdom of God. At Babel, humans in their pride build a structure trying to reach up to heaven. At Pentecost, with the spirit, heaven descended to earth. Tongues were not the only example of the Holy Spirit giving power to do extraordinary things. In verse 43, we are told that many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Here's a third way that the Holy Spirit comes in power upon the servants of the Lord and that they exercise the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit also gave them power to bring in the harvest. After Peter's Spirit-inspired sermon, the people were cut to the heart 
That's the expression used uh, in Luke's account. And they asked Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Peter replies, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 did exactly that, that day. And many more in the following days. In verse 47, we find the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Jesus had once told his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the harvest field. This was the start of the answer to those prayers, a great ingathering of people into the kingdom. On the day of Pentecost, the day celebrating the ingathering of the first fruits of the harvest, As the apostles obeyed the Great Commission and went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost nations of the world, that harvest continued and it continues today. Finally, let's have a look at power to communify. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is Acts 2, the end of the chapter. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Now, you've had a little bit of time to think about communify. If you're thinking that you haven't, word that, uh, you haven't heard that word before, uh, well, you're right, uh, because I made it up. <laughs> I did actually go to the trouble of looking up a few of the main dictionaries um, to see whether it might have been there as a word. Uh, it wasn't. But I reckon it should be. It's a good one. Not just because I made it up. Don't you agree? Isn't it a good word, communify? I, I think it's a great word at least. It describes the coming together in community, which is what happens through the Spirit. The believers gather for teaching, for fellowship, for prayer, for worship, for meals, including the Lord's Supper. But this word communify also describes the unifying power of the Spirit. Verse 44 tells us that the believers were together and had everything in common. They even sold possessions to help out anyone in need. This new community of believers, the early church, contained rich and poor, slave and free, people of many different nations in a unified body. 
This was a new thing. This wasn't normal. It wasn't the normal way of things, the natural way of things. Normally, like people gathered together and excluded others. That was the culture. This wasn't natural. Again, it was supernatural through the power of the Spirit. You'll hear a lot in this series about what the Holy Spirit does for you as an individual believer. You've already heard some of it. As our series continues, you'll hear a lot more. The Holy Spirit gives you life, as Johnny, Pastor Johnny shared with us last Sunday, develops the fruit of the Spirit in, in us, gives you spiritual gifts. We'll be preaching on that later this term. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live. But that's not all. The Spirit doesn't just work in believers as individuals. This isn't an individualistic thing. The Spirit brings individuals together in community. The Holy Spirit communifies and works through the community for the accomplishments of God's eternal purposes and plans. So that's what happened at Pentecost. Uh, but this sermon isn't meant to be just a history lesson. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost has immense ongoing relevance for each of us and for the church. Remember what Peter said to the crowd? The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Friends, that includes us. We're some of those who were far off at that time. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to us too. To help us to witness. To do extraordinary things through us. To harvest through us. And to communify, bringing us together in an unnatural, supernatural way. God doesn't expect us to do these things on our own, to witness, to do extraordinary things, to harvest, to communify. In fact, let me say, I don't think we can. In fact, I'm sure we can't. That's why God calls us into community, into the church. But beyond that, it's why God gives the Holy Spirit to come and indwell each believer. To empower each of us to be the person that God calls us to be and to do the things that God calls us to do. Last year we sold our home and moved into a unit which needed a lot of work. Uh, we had to call an electrician on a number of occasions now, that's not actually a picture from our unit. It's one I got off the internet, but when I saw it, it reminded me of um, some of the work the electrician had to do at our place. Now, look, I won't go into details because um, this bit is a little bit embarrassing to me, but on one occasion, I learned an important lesson from our friendly electrician. It's one thing to have the power on but for things to work, you have to have them properly plugged in. It's an imperfect illustration, I know, but it is a bit like the spirit. 
God has given believers the Holy Spirit, a spirit of power. But for that power to be active and effective in our lives, we need to be properly plugged in to the source of that power. When we are properly connected, when there's no impedance, the Spirit empowers our new life in Christ for God's glory. Well, may it be so. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.